Hello, and welcome to the Mormon History Podcast. Episode 7, He is Risen. Before I begin today's episode, I want to apologize for the unexpected hiatus from podcasting. After I finished finals, things got pretty crazy, and I've spent the last two weeks visiting my family in Missouri. But now I'm back, and hopefully we can establish a more stable flow of episodes. Today we conclude the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. In the last episode, we examined Jesus' final week before he was brutally executed by a crucifixion by Roman soldiers, overseen by Jewish officials, and supported by a majority of the people of Jerusalem. His body was laid in a garden tomb. One of the things that sets Mormons apart from other Christians is that they believe that there were two important events that occurred between the death of Christ and his resurrection. The first event in Christ is Christ's ministry in the world of the spirits. When Christ told one of his fellows crucified that today you will be with me in paradise, Mormons believe he was referring to the spirit world. As discussed in a previous episode on the doctrine of the plan of salvation, the spirit world is the ethereal realm in which the spirits of the dead wait for the glorious day of general resurrection, which will coincide with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus entered the spirit world, there is a separation between paradise and hell, otherwise known as prison. This is evidenced by a parable found in Luke 16, verse, verse 26 reads, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that would come from thence. What Christ did in the spirit world was visit the righteous in paradise. Then he opened a bridge across the great gulf, separating the paradise from prison. This meant that those spirits who were condemned to prison could be redeemed and enter paradise. In order to enter paradise, one must be baptized or receive all the saving ordinances of the gospel, including the sealing ordinance. This was a law decreed by God that no unclean thing could enter into his presence. In order to become clean, one would have to receive all the ordinances. This was regardless of whether or not someone had the chance to receive them during their lifetimes. In Doctrines of Salvation, President Joseph Fielding Smith said, What about the countless thousands who have died and never heard of Christ, never had an opportunity of repentance and remission of their sins, never met an elder of the church holding the authority? Some of our good Christian neighbors will tell you that they are lost forever. Would that be fair? Would that be just? No. The Lord is going to give every man the opportunity to hear and receive eternal life, or a place in his kingdom. In order to give every man the opportunity to hear the message of the gospel, these spirits to enter paradise, they need to be baptized. But this seemed impossible because these spirits lacked physical bodies to be baptized with. Their bodies were dead and buried in the world of mortals. So, through the priesthood, God allowed living people to be baptized for and on behalf of these spirits, a proxy baptism. A spirit who accepted the gospel and whose proxy work had been done in the temple could then enter paradise. Later, Peter and Paul would preach about baptisms for the dead. 
We know that they were performed during the time of the original apostles because it is mentioned in Scripture. Paul, in his first epistle or letter to the Corinthians, wrote that the people were baptizing for the dead despite their doubts about the resurrection of all mankind. That's 1 Corinthians 15.29. Peter, too, preached about the salvation for the dead in 1 Peter 4.6. It is plausible that God taught his apostles and disciples about baptism for the dead after his resurrection, but before his ascension into heaven. The second event occurred in the American continent. Mormons believe that the other sheep referred to in John 10, 14-16 refers to a group of Israelites who fled the destruction of Jerusalem around 600 BC and were led by God to a new home in the new world. Specifically, they believe that the other sheep were those who were waiting for Christ to come visit the Americas. Following the ascension of Christ, he would indeed visit these people in the Americas. Corresponding with the death of Christ, the new world was buffeted with natural disasters such as windstorms, earthquakes, tsunamis, and fires. This destroyed most of the cities built by the descendants of these American Israelites. The survivors suffered from three days of intense darkness that could not be dispelled. Those, these, three days in which, these were days in which Christ's body was in the tomb. During this time of suffocating darkness, Christ's voice spoke to the inhabitants of the land. Woe, woe, woe unto this people, woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent. For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice, because of the slain of the fair sons and daughters of my people, and it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. Christ then described how he caused the destruction of the cities due to their extreme wickedness. Quote, and many destructions I have caused to come upon this land and upon this people, because of their wickedness and abominations. O oh, all ye that, has, that are spared, because ye were more righteous than they, will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins, and be converted that I may heal you? Yea, verily I say unto you, If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, my arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him I, will I receive. And blessed are those that come unto me. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I created the heavens and the earth, and all things in them are. I was with the Father from the beginning. I am the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And in me hath the Father glorified his name. I came unto my own, and my own receiveth me not. The scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as received me, to them I have given to become sons of God. And even so will I, as many as shall believe in my name. For behold, by me, by me redemption cometh, and in me the law of Moses is fulfilled. I am the light and the life of the world. I am Alpha and Omega, be the beginning and the end. And ye shall offer unto me no more shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. For I will accept none of your sacrifices and burnt offerings. And ye shall offer sacrifice unto me unto a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and knew, they knew it not. Behold, I have come into the world to bring redemption unto the world, to save the world from sin. Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive, for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life, and taken it up again. Therefore repent, and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. End quote. Christ ended with the following statement, 
O ye people of these great cities which have fallen, who are descendants of Jacob, yea, who are of the house of Israel, how oft have I gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and have nourished you? And again, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel, who have fallen! Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel, ye that dwell at Jerusalem, as ye have fallen! Yea, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chickens, and ye would not! O ye house of Israel, who I have spared! How oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart? After the darkness subsided, the survivors found that even the face of the land had changed so dramatically that it was unrecognizable. They ceased to weep and mourn, and began to praise Jesus Christ, their God. From that point, they began to rebuild and look for the day in which Christ would visit them. The Jewish Sabbath had passed, and it was early Sunday morning. The sun had not yet risen on the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Two Roman guards stood watch over the area. A great stone sealed the entrance to the tomb in which the body of Jesus Christ lay. Jewish officials feared that Christ's disciples might try to steal his body, to make it look like he rose from the dead. Suddenly there was an earthquake. The Roman soldiers feared for their lives as a light descended upon the stone. A man descended, dressed in a glorious white robe, who shone like the sun. He rolled aside the stone that sealed the tomb. The tomb opened, and the angel had appeared that had appeared sat upon the stone, which had been knocked down. The Roman soldiers fainted. When they recovered, they saw the angel and fled from the scene, leaving the tomb unguarded. Now, as far as we know, no mortal eye witnessed the moment in which Christ's spirit reunited with his body. No living person saw him sit up, perhaps look around, then stand up and exit the tomb. The next time we see Christ in the New Testament record is through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. She was a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ and dearly loved him. Some speculate that there was something more to their relationship, even suggesting that they may be husband and wife. This is unsubstantiated by scriptural and historical records. We must not speculate too much to the point of rewriting history, of me history or memory so that it seems to make more sense to us. All that I know about Mary Magdalene is that she was a special disciple of Christ, who he, whom he had singled out to be the first to see him in his resurrected form. On the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, Mary, mother of James, Salome, and other women went to the tomb with spices that they might embalm the body of their slain Lord. But when they approached the sepulchre, they found that the stone was rolled away, and a young man, an angel, sat upon it. Be not, be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they had laid him. The women indeed saw that the tomb was empty. They ran to tell Peter and Galilee what had happened, as instructed by the angel. At first, nobody believed the women. But Peter and John went to investigate the women's story. According to the record, they ran to Jerusalem as fast as they could. When they reached the sepulchre, they found that the funeral shroud and the Christ's wrappings were folded neatly where the Christ's body had once laid. Not quite fully realizing the significance of this, they returned to their homes. Mary Magdalene, meanwhile, remained at the tomb and wept. She looked into the tomb again and saw the two angels sitting where Christ's body was, was supposed to be. Woman, why weepest thou? they asked. 
She responded through her sobs, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Then she heard footsteps behind her. She turned to see a concerned-looking man. He suppo she supposed him to be the gardener. The man asked her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom, thou, whom seekest thou? Mary swallowed hard and turned away, trying to compose herself, and said, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. The man, who Mary thought was the gardener, spoke Mary's name. In that instance, the man's voice sounded suddenly familiar. Mary turned back around, and her heart leaped. Rabboni, Master, she said. Bef before her stood Jesus Christ. She reached out to touch him, perhaps even to embrace her teacher and friend. Touch me not, Christ quickly said, for I am not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary ran to report what had happened to Peter and the what had happened to Peter and the other apostles. Though it is not written, it can be safe to assume that Christ sojourned in the presence of Heavenly Father and presented himself to him. Then Christ returned to earth to continue his ministry. He appeared to a group of female disciples and told them to tell the other disciples and apostles to go to Galilee, where they would, where they would see him. Graves were opened, according to Matthew 27:52, and faithful saints were resurrected and appeared to many before ascending into heaven. At that very moment, word reached the Sanhedrin and the chief priests that Christ had risen from the grave. They bribed the soldiers to report that disciples had stolen Christ's body. This lie spread quickly through the, throughout the Jews, and they continued to believe it and repeat it even at the time of the writing of the Gospels, decades after the fact. Christ appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He made it so that they didn't recognize him. He asked them why they were so sad. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him how Jesus of Nazareth, told him how Jesus of Nazareth, a mighty prophet, was condemned to death by the chief priests and rulers and was crucified. We trusted that it would that it that it had been he which would redeem Israel, they said. This reflected that the attitude of of many who believed on Christ. They thought he would be he would free Israel from the Roman yoke, establishing a permanent and everlasting kingdom where the Jews could live free. Cleopas continued to tell Jesus of how men, how women had had a vision of angels of the tomb garden tomb, but didn't see the resurrected Christ. The disguised Christ told the two disciples on the road to Emmaus about how it was necessary for Christ to be slain, that he might fulfill the law of Moses and the commandment of the Father. The disciples convinced Christ to spend the night with them. He ate with them and blessed their food. After blessing their bread, Christ disappeared. The disciples talked amongst themselves and realized that the stranger they had met on the road to Emmaus was the very Lord, having risen from the grave. Christ finally appeared to his apostles in Galilee. Ten of the apostles were gathered there, all accounted for except Thomas, and of course, the late Judas Iscariot. When Christ made himself known, the apostles were very afraid, thinking he was a ghost. To ease their fears, Christ had each apostle fill the scars in his hands and feet, proving he was not a ghost, and had a body of flesh and bones. To further show that he was a resurrected being, Christ ate fish and honeycomb in front of his apostles. He reminded them that of his prophecy that he would be slain and risen again on the third day. He also reminded them of the promised second comforter, the Holy Ghost, which they would receive in Jerusalem. After Christ departed, 
the apostles told Thomas what he had missed. Perhaps it stemmed from intense grief that, Tom, that Thomas refused to believe that Christ had indeed risen from the grave, until he could, quote, put his finger into the print of the nails and thrust his hand into Jesus' side, end quote. A week later, Jesus appeared to the eleven of his apostles, including Thomas. He instructed Thomas to fill the marks in his hands and the hole in his side. Be not faithless, he said, but believing. Thomas did so and fell to his knees. My Lord and my God, he exclaimed. Jesus then said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The apostles were unsure of what to do next. They had seen the risen Lord and thought all had been finished. Peter took initiative and said that he was going to go fishing. He took Thomas, Nathaniel, John and James, and two other apostles, two other disciples with him. They were out on the Sea of Galilee and fished all night and caught nothing. In the morning they saw a man on the shore. Children, the stranger called, have ye any meat? Probably annoyed, the men in the ship answered him, No. The stranger continued, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. The disciples obeyed and were unable to draw the net back into the boat, for it was completely full of fishes. John turned to Peter and stated the obvious, It is the Lord. Peter jumped into the water and swam to the stranger, who was revealed to be Jesus. Another ship came to help the disciples with their load of fishes, and they went to greet the Lord. Jesus had them bring the 153 fish they had caught and cook them over a fire that Christ had prepared for them. He also gave them some bread to eat. Surely he knew they were hungry after a long night of catching nothing. Christ then addressed Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter was taken aback. Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Christ replied, Feed my lambs. A little while longer, as the disciples continued to eat and Christ watched them carefully, he spoke to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter repeated his answer, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Christ told him, Feed my sheep. Again, a pause. For the third time, Christ asked Peter, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter, in the words of it, Jeffrey R. Holland, must have been feeling very uncomfortable. Surely he remembered that he had denied Christ, denied knowing Christ three times just days, bef days before. Peter said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. For the third time, Christ told him, Feed my sheep. Peter got the message. Christ was exhorting Peter to take care of his people, all people. Later that same day, Peter pulled Christ aside and asked about John Zebedee, brother of James. Christ told him that John would tarry on the earth until Christ's second coming. Of course, he said, that did not matter to Peter. Peter's job was to follow Christ. The disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus meant when he told them that John would tarry on the earth until the second coming. Christ ministered in the Holy Land for 40 days after his resurrection. During this time, he gathered the ele his eleven apostles to a mountain in Galilee. He commissioned them, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to obey, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then, in the last days of Christ's glorious post-resurrection ministry, he led his apostles to the Mount of Olives. When they reached Bethany, Christ lifted up his hands and blessed them. At the Mount of Olives, they asked him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Christ replied that it is not for them to know the timing of God, but ye shall have received power after the after that the Holy Ghost has come unto you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Then Christ rose into the air and disappeared from sight. Immediately two angels appeared to the apostles. Ye men of Galilee, they said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go away into heaven. John, at the end of his gospel, wrote, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. The past few episodes of this podcast, and the Gospels of the New Testament for that matter, do not contain a full account of the life of the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ. One book that continues Christ's story is the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon makes an account of Christ's visit to the Americas. The people there were waiting for his visit, and after and after his ascension from the Mount of Olives, Christ descended from the heavens to the foot of a temple in the New World. After being witnessed and testified by Heavenly Father himself, Christ's first words to the American people were, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunken of the bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified in the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, in which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. Arise and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye feel the, pr- the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, and that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have sl- been slain for the sins of the world. Christ called twelve disciples and gave them power and authority to baptize and give the gift of the Holy Ghost. He established the sacrament of bread and wine among the people. He gave the church there his name, and he blessed thousands of people. He taught them many wonderful things and showed them the way to salvation. After tarrying with them for a couple of days, he left the church in the Americas in the hands of the twelve disciples. The people there continued to be righteous and unified for generations. That's it for today. Next time we will begin the story of the Apostolic Age, in which the Christ Church of Jesus Christ would grow and expand under the guidance of Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page and our blog, www.historypod.com. If you have any questions, shoot me a message on Facebook via the Mormon History Podcast. Also, feel free to email me at mhistorypod at gmail.com for comments or questions. Also, please leave a rating on whatever app or site that you're using. Thanks again. This has been the Mormon History Podcast.